The Permian Basin is an abundant oil and gas producing area. Already one of the world's leading oil producing regions, the area in West Texas and Southeastern New Mexico could nearly double crude oil production by the year 2023. But who are the leaders behind this economic powerhouse? And what is their story? This is Permian Perspective. I'm your host, Krista Escamilla. Today's show is sponsored by Baker Hughes, who recently launched a new and reimagined Baker Hughes brand. As an energy technology company, they strive to make energy safer, cleaner, and more efficient for people and the planet. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Permian Perspective. I'm sitting here today in my office in Midland, Texas. Joining us via Zencaster, also in Midland, is Alex Bruns, who is the Permian Sales and Commercial Manager for Baker Hughes. Alex, thank you so much for being here today. Hey, Krista, thanks for having me along. And I have to say, thanks for being my first Zencaster interview. Usually, I, I always enjoy getting to see everyone face-to-face when we do our interviews, and this is a first, and I know it's going to go great, so I, I appreciate you hanging in there with me with technology today. Oh, it's our pleasure. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Before we get started, I want to thank everyone who has shared our podcast with friends and family and colleagues. We have listeners all over the world, and of course, right here in the Permian Basin, and I really appreciate each and every one of you. And as a special thanks to those who've been so kind enough to leave a five-star review on iTunes, I want to just remind you, you know, please feel free to send those iTunes reviews or emails. You are way too kind with your words, and I appreciate each and every one of you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I just want to say that I look forward to hearing from all of you, and I also look forward to hearing who you would like to hear me interview. So I've had a couple of you make suggestions, and I love that. So thanks for doing that. Let's get started. Alex Bruns is joining us. Alex is in charge of chemical sales in the Permian and is also the commercial manager. Alex, first of all, how are you doing through all this? How, how's your day going? Oh, it's going all right. It's definitely, I kind of say, the new normal for us now with both COVID and unfortunately under $20 oil at time of recording. So that's a big change from where we've been at the last few years and we're kind of learning how to adjust. Right. And that's what everyone's doing. And we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. But first, I want to get to know a little bit more about you and how you got started in the oil and gas business. I appreciate that question. So my start in the oil and gas industry is probably really unique from what most people are listening here. I grew up in Minnesota, which is definitely not known for their oil and gas at all. And then got a degree in chemistry and went on to graduate school for environmental engineering. So really, the getting into the oil and gas industry itself started because I didn't want to be that laboratory technician with a degree in chemistry and really be outside and do more outdoor activities. And that's where most of my research has been in from education's perspective. So I really wanted to stay and focus my time outside. And I happened to stumble into a few different companies that used to recruit in Michigan where I went to grad school at. And they had these banners that had folks dressed in FRs, wearing hard hats, and they were all outdoor scenes. And that really got my attention. Ended up applying at Baker Hughes and a few other companies. And Baker Hughes ended up to be where I got my start at originally in the Gulf of Mexico as a field engineer in drilling. So it's been pretty wild ride since that start through a lot of different positions that I've had, but it's been it's been a blast every day learning new things and learning about the industry and, and a lot of the nuances of it and all of the terminology that I'm still trying to get my head around with all the acronyms and things like that. Since my parents and family have not grown up in the oil and gas industry, it's been 
a unique challenge to explain to them what I do every day. <laughs> what was the most surprising acronym that, that you came across and you thought, oh, didn't know that one? Probably like doghouse was probably the biggest one coming from drilling. I was like, where, what are you talking about? Like I'm on an offshore drilling rig right now. There's dogs out here. So trying to really understand what, what that meant and where to go and, and some of those other catwalk and some of these other names that in all honesty, one of my trainers, when I was first joined the company, John Lawtonville, who's still with us at Baker is he would always quiz us on the first quiz that we started on was name 10 animal named things that are on a rig. And then the next week it would be 15. And then the next week it'd be 20. And that really stood out to me of, oh man, alive, am I in for a wild ride on, on learning new things and related them to animal names. So it was a good crash course in what the industry was soon to come to be. You're so right, because there are so many different names. I feel like after you saying that, that there really should be a oil and gas dictionary out there. <laughs> so people can go, okay, and then have this new vocabulary list, you know, to, to look at. I mean, because it really is, it's a different world. What did you love about it so much when you were immersed into it that first year at Baker? So I was really fortunate to get my career started out in the field as a field engineer working in the Gulf of Mexico. So I went from Louisiana is where I was based out of, out of Homa. So shout out to those folks down in Southern Louisiana and our Cajun friends that are out here in the Permian Basin right now. And then I even had an opportunity to go and, and drill the Lisa One Well for ExxonMobil down in, in South America in Guyana. And that was my, that was actually my last time offshore was for that Lisa One Well before I moved into global operations which I then spent a lot of my time in the Middle East and Northern Europe. So it was really a unique experience, but every day being something completely different in the 13-hour days and being the most fit of my, of my life, working out twice a day and then the whole 12 hours while you're working, it was a really a fun, fun time of my past that I definitely am appreciative that I had that exposure and experience to really understand what it's like to work out in the field before moving into a role in more of a sales and commercial role now that I that I currently sit in. It sounds like it, and it really gave you that world travel that you weren't going to see had you not gotten into oil and gas, right? Yeah. Because you were you were saying I don't want to sit, you know, sit sit here and, and work behind the desk so much, and you wanted to go out and travel. How did that travel then eventually take you here to the Permian Basin? Yeah, no, great question. So when I was before I moved out to the Permian Basin in, in global operations, it was really focused around traveling to our operational bases around the world and making sure that our folks had the right resources, had the right new technology, that they had the right equipment for them to really win in those marketplaces. So I spent a lot of time in the North Sea, a whole lot of time in Italy, which was a great place for, for oil and gas that I had no idea was such a strong oil and gas country until I was over there all the time and primarily down in Sicily doing some really unique drilling operations on land in the center part of the country. And then I spent a whole lot of time in the Middle East, in Kuwait and Saudi Arabia and, and Oman and the United Arab Emirates. So it's been a fun ride. But a few years ago, before I moved out to the Permian, they gave me an option to, to go into Kuwait or to come out to the Permian Basin. And my wife and I really had a hard decision to figure out what she was going to do and what I was going to do with my career and, and figure that out. But we we came out to Midland. We drove from Houston out to Midland the first time, and she interviewed out here with Midland ISD. She works for the school district out here. So it's been 
I wanted to make sure that she had a home. And before I knew what this place was in, in 2016, 2017, was there's no shortage of opportunities for her and her career field. So after that moment, we said, okay, let's, let's look at the Permian Basin because it'll be a pretty easy transition of life. And we fell in love with the people and aspects of community out here that really reminded me a lot of what home was like for me back up in the Northwoods, both in Minnesota and in Michigan for, for my wife. So it's been a it's been a blast, but it's been finding the commonalities between what we do and what we do back home uh, where my family's at. Right. Are there a lot of differences? Can, can you really tell a big difference between life here in the Permian and other places? I know we are kind of unique. We are a little kind of landlocked. We're out here in the middle of nowhere, as a lot of people say, but it's, I mean, it is a unique place to live. Absolutely. What do you love about it? Absolutely. So it's, it's unique in some aspects and it's similar in others. I think what I now, when I go back up to visit my parents or my nephews and nieces is when I go to shake someone's hand, which is a common thing down here, maybe not with COVID right now. However, that's always a bit of a strange deal as well as kind of the Southern hospitality of holding doors open for other people when they come in and out. It's just some of those nuances are a little bit different. And then also now my accent is definitely not the Minnesota Northwoods that it, that it used to be. And I tried to get rid of that pretty quick when I was down in Southern Louisiana because nobody could understand what I was saying and I couldn't really understand what they were saying. So it was a <laughs> mutual understanding, trying to understand how to communicate once again. It's been a blast, but it's definitely there is some similarities and some differences. But the biggest ones that stand out is the shaking hands when you meet someone or see them again in the future. But that, that, yeah. that just doesn't happen up north as much as it does down here. Interesting. That is an interesting point. So Alex, I'm so glad that you're here. I know you're doing great things for Baker. And we want to talk a little bit about just what's going on in the world right now. I know there's so much and there are so many different things that we could talk about. So let's just kind of start at the beginning with the geopolitics, domestic and foreign. What impact do you see that that it's having here in the Permian Basin? Yeah, as I alluded to early on in the conversation, at time of recording, this is really a unique situation that we're all in out here. How do you thrive? How do you survive? And how do you live in, in sub $20 or even sub $40 oil prices out here? And, and what do we do with that from a supply and demand perspective? I think we've had the perfect storm as an industry with both the COVID-19 dropping down some of the supply or the demand needs and us still continuing to produce as much supply as what we are doing, as well as the Saudis and Russians really pushing forward on, on some of their aspects of it too. Though this is one, one earth, this is definitely a global, a global supply and demand aspect that we all have to just deal with and figure out what is going to be our new norm and, and how do we operate in a way that we can sustain just as any business is trying to do, regardless of what industry they're in. And what do you think is is the key to that, to sustaining the business? I think it's all about understanding that it's time and it's needed to really take a look at what we've been doing and what we need to be doing moving forward. I don't think there's necessarily a perfect answer for that. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be the ways of, well, this is how we've done it. I think a lot of that kind of answer or that kind of situation is definitely not going to be how we do it moving forward. And I think it's really starting to question a lot of our processes and how we operate as, as a business, not us as Baker Hughes, but us as an industry. And how are we going to handle this new normal? Right. Let's talk about this new normal. This is something that is affecting everyone all over the United States we are, and the world. And we are all remote working now. How has that affected your team and how are they responding? 
So it's definitely different, right? If you were to ask five years ago what remote working looked like in oil and gas, people would probably just laugh at you and say, oh, that, that's never going to happen. Now, that being said, we're taking a lot of that in stride with doing more video conferencing. For example, I do monthly review meetings with our customers on how the chemical programs are working on each individual field or asset that we're working in. And now we're starting to do more video conferencing. And that's really a, an opportunity for us to connect. But then also what we miss out on is that is that human to human interactions either before or after those meetings. But getting everyone in the same room with, with a webcam and, and having some of those conversations is is something that I'm kind of excited about, but then also, as I mentioned, kind of missing out on some of that as well. So for me, selfishly, I can hit a lot more meetings in a day on our performance and what we're doing as a business with our various customer base, because I can simply call in back to back. So if I had one from one to two and two to three, before the video conferencing was, a, was an appropriate method, I'd only have to choose one or the other. I couldn't do both because of the distance between all of the different field offices. So it's just kind of understanding what that looks like from certain certain parts of the business. But then on the other parts of the business, we're still operating business as usual. I mean, we have to. We're all deemed essential employees within this industry, depending upon what we do for each job function. But it's been also kind of a, a nice opportunity for us to get out and continue to execute and figure out what that new normal is going to look like from an operational perspective as well. And. How about the team? Is morale still up? Everybody feeling you know good about being able to work this way? I'm sure they're thankful they still have jobs because, as you know, uh, so many people here everywhere you know are not being able to work. So I'm sure there's that gratefulness there. Absolutely, that's definitely a big challenge, right? Is is making sure that morale is there when you can't just walk into their office and say, "Hey, how's things going?" I know it's been rough. Uh, I know that we're doing X, Y, and Z, but to not be able to have that informal face-to-face -face allows us to make sure that we're being intentional in what we do and what we spend our time on. Uh, I know that for me personally, I have to charge my phone probably three or four times a day now for how much I'm on it for either my team or with, my, with the customers that we work for to make sure that we're all still keeping that high level of connection and, and communication across the industry. Yes, and, th and then not feel guilty when you see your screen time is up 80%, right? <laughs> I looked at mine the other day and I thought, oh, I'm on my phone way too much. But then I'm like, wait, I have to be on my phone way too much. So it is a, it's just a different life that we're in now. How is Baker supporting families and community members through this? I know you mentioned that, you know, you are staying connected. Is there anything else that Baker is doing in general to, to help the community? Yeah, absolutely. So from simple things like donations and bringing baskets to our frontline healthcare workers down here in the Midland Odessa area that we've dropped off baskets for, for some of the nurses and doctors and other aspects like that at the hospitals and centers like that to first responders, making sure that they're understanding that we're with them and we understand exactly what, what they're having to go into every day, or even the grocery store workers that we're unbelievably thankful for, that they're opening up more and more times for folks to allow the social distancing to happen at the right method. But one thing that I'm personally really proud of is our supply chain in the chemicals world to pivot what we were doing operationally to take an opportunity to make some hand sanitizers for both our operations folks that needed some, 
But more importantly is for the stuff that we were able to donate to the state of New Mexico and other agencies up in that in that area that I think often get forgotten about, that it's important that they understand that in these remote areas that we're here for them. We're there for them from an oil and gas perspective in those four counties in the southeastern corner. But then also we're there for them from an industry perspective, from a community perspective. And and it was a great honor for us to be able to, to deliver hundreds of gallons of hand sanitizer and and face masks. I know that you guys have been doing the same thing over at Rig ID, and it's just great to see really the community coming together in these types of crises to to meet the needs of what the community is asking for. That's fantastic that you're doing that. And that is one of the things that is so wonderful about the Permian Basin. Everybody helps everybody out and, and comes together in crisis. And, and, and when we're not in crisis, we come together. So it just seems like when we are seeing challenging times like right now, it's like stepped up 100% even more than it already is, which is, is beautiful to see. Absolutely. I mean, that's what makes this place unique. And you've heard that time and time again from every person that you've interviewed out here is, and I'm I'm a transplant, right? I didn't grow up. I wasn't born and raised out here in, in the Permian Basin or West Texas or New Mexico. But it's really noticeable how much of community impacts us. And that was, for me, what I feel the most at home about being out here. I've lived in Houston. I've lived over in Louisiana. But for me, the Permian Basin has just been that arms wide open. We're in this together. We understand it's remote out here, but it's not the most remote place I've ever lived. So it's been really a welcome change and a welcome attitude from the community that we have around us, both in good times and in bad. Yes, for sure. Well, what does the future hold post-COVID? How how do you think this will change the way that Baker does business in the future? Yeah, I think it's really going to change in general for the industry, not just oil and gas, but all industries. I think Bill Gates had a pretty good commentary about this the other day of what does business travel look like in the future? Is it even needed? Are we pivoting to a point where we can leverage more technology to avoid some of the either internal or external meetings that we're doing because we thought that we had to drive halfway across the country or jump in an airplane and and have that meeting face to face? And don't get me wrong, I will still be jumping into a car or an airplane to go out and travel to customers, but it's really going to start to make you think, are some of these able to be done remotely, not only from a time efficiency perspective, but also from a cost savings perspective to business. So we'll, I think we're really in a situation where it's fluid and we have no idea what the future holds. But I thought Bill Gates' comments around business travel were probably the most spot on that I've seen on what does business travel in general look like and what impact is that going to make to the hospitality or transportation industry in this new normal. That is a great point. That is a great point. And nothing does be face-to-face. It really is the, is the way to do business. But there are some times that now maybe you don't need to take that trip that was going to, you know, cost a lot of money and, and maybe it can be done, you know, remote now because we know we've done it. So it's almost like, hey, this does work too for some things. So I, I love that. Let's talk about technology and how Baker Hughes is utilized because this is something you've been doing before COVID, the use of drones and automation. It seems like Baker is always a step ahead when it comes to technology. Let's talk about how that is being utilized. I'm happy to see that you recognize the technology aspects of that. As you know, Baker Hughes reinvented that brand, as you mentioned, every week as an energy technology company. And that's something that's in the core of our company. This, The drones, we'll bring that up first, has been really a unique application that we've been doing for a few years now. Started in our ventures and growth area, and then we brought it back into the business. And it's been just a blessing ever since we've done that. 
the primary focus is is the fact that we're actually not a drone company and i don't think anyone ever wants to be that what we're really focused on is how does that technology impact the business that we do so the most prevalent example to talk about is methane emissions monitoring emissions and and other fugitive emissions that come from this industry or that we're using from an operational perspective and how do we identify the problem faster so that we can fix the problem. It's similar conversations on data collection and database management, where 80% of your time you spend focusing on making sure that it's in the right format, and then 20% of the time you're actually doing the work. And through the use of drones and other automation devices, it really allows you to focus more of your effort on, on the actual fixing of the problems and identification of the problems and not just problems, but also on the positive sides of that as well, so that you're more efficient and, and doing a lot more value-add tasks on a day-to-day basis. And I think drones is really an exciting opportunity, not just for the oil and gas industry, but also for, for all industries to see from a manufacturing perspective. I know that they've been doing a lot on the alternative energy as well through blade monitoring on wind turbines and other things like that to really focus in on reducing some of the HSE risks that before, someone would have to climb up a ladder as tall as a skyscraper to go and inspect blades visually. And that is now done in a drone, not to mention the cost of the time savings that you're having from that. And, and ultimately, it typically leads to a cheaper price point as well. So it's kind of a win-win from, from all, all business perspectives. Absolutely. That really is amazing when you think about it. You know, if you think, think back to someone that maybe worked in this industry say 70, you know, 60, 70 years ago, and compared to today, how technology has just changed it completely. Yeah, I mean, and the automation side of it for me in the chemicals world has just been a key motivation for us to make sure that we're running a more efficient business, making sure that those, the chemical injections are matching the flow rates on the production. So if the production goes down, we should inject less chemicals. So it's a cost savings to the operators, but it's also a really good opportunity for us to to know how much inventory, for example, we have out on location or that we don't have to send out a technician or an engineer to go out there and see how much volumes are in those tanks. Because for example, on the drones, you're able to take infrared cameras and, and monitor how much of different types of fluid are in each one of the different vessels or, or facilities out in the basin. So it's really a neat way to, to start to look at how do you run your, your business more efficiently through leveraging some of the data that's being collected in the field. What about asset protection in these uncertain times? Yeah, it's absolutely key. I cannot tell you the amount of times that my phone has been ringing these last few weeks with possibilities of shutting in wells, halting production or slowing down production, and making sure that the assets, both from an artificial lift perspective downhole, or even from a pipeline and facilities perspective at the surface, we have to make sure that we're still protecting those assets against corrosion and, and other irreversible damages. So being in the chemicals world, we supply quite a bit of chemicals and chemistries that really look into asset protection to make sure that when things return to normal, that we're not going to get caught with any nasty surprises or extra costs because all of a sudden that tubing has a giant hole in it because of bacteria or microbial induced corrosion it really is going to depend upon how we protect that moving into it. So think of it more of an, as an insurance policy to make sure that nothing goes wrong in the future. 
That's very smart. Great idea. Thank you so much for that. And before we go any further, I want to ask you some personal questions. I just want to let everyone know we are talking to Alex Bruns with Baker Hughes. He is the in charge of Permian's sales and commercial manager. And this has just been such a wonderful conversation. I really enjoy hearing everything that you're doing at Baker. And now I want to ask you as a, as a team leader and as a someone that has been in the business so long, I want to get some of your personal perspective on things because I always love to hear what people are reading or listening to. And you're a smart guy, Alex. I like to hear bio. You're a smart guy. So what are you reading that we can all read so we know what you know? So I'm going to be honest with you. I am a terrible reader. I don't know if I have some type of reading challenges or, or what, but I, I actually am more of a podcast listener myself or book on tape. It tends, I'm a really slow reader. So I my mind typically works faster than my eyes do. So I prefer to, to listen to a lot of things. And a lot of them are actually outside the industry. I really have spent a lot of my time listening to How I Built This from NPR. Yes, that's my favorite. And then there's been some good leadership ones that I've, that I've been listening to a lot from Max Brown on Purpose and Principles. And he's a phenomenal person and a phenomenal leader. And I really enjoy listening to his interviews more or less with folks just kind of like how this dialogue has been going back and forth. And then from the competitive side of me, I, I was a, a college athlete in, in undergrad and was always around sports my whole life. So I'm being in sales is probably a good thing for me to keep me sharp. But Business Wars is another good one by Wondery. It's mm-hmm. I just like listening to, for example, there was one on Dunkin' Donuts versus Starbucks the other day or Patagonia versus North Face. It's been really a, a unique to hear about how these businesses came to be and the struggles that they all went through and how they either overcame them by sheer luck or how they overcame them by by simply pivoting to the current market conditions, which I think is really what we're in today. Right. Absolutely. I love those. Great suggestions. Thank you so much. What about a favorite quote? Do you have a favorite quote you live by, Alex? So when in the environmental world where I came from, before I got into oil and gas industry, I, we had a big belief in a lot of my ecology courses that I took was be a voice for the voiceless. And I think that that's not necessarily only related to the, the environment or the, the animals and critters that we were talking about from that perspective, but it goes into business as well. And I think that's our, our challenge for leaders is to really remember that Every decision that you make, you're making that decision not only for your team, but for the company. And your job as a leader, in my opinion, is to to really focus on, I'm the sounding board for every single employee that I've ever engaged with or the impact that these decisions are going to be made either at a board level or out in, in whatever decisions that we make across the organization. And I think that's our, our challenge and our opportunity to really focus on being that voice for the voiceless, either that your team's not in the room that day and that's the voiceless folks, or that it's the operational folks that that are actually doing the work every day and, and the impacts that we could be making from that. And I know that you've gone through similar things like that, I'm sure in your time over at Rig ID, that you've had to be that sounding board and, and knowing what that's going to be. So I think that's one of the biggest ones that I live by is the voice for the voiceless. and for any of those of you who have sat in meetings with me, I tend to not be very quiet in meetings. <laughs> I love that. Be the voice for the voice. I love that. That is so key because a lot of times people, they, they're almost scared to share their opinion in a lot of ways. And 
so they don't step up and say that. And for for you to mention that you really need to be listening and hearing and then be vocal about it and be that voice. I think that is so key and so important. I love that. Thanks for sharing. And let's talk about what the most important lesson you've learned is. And this could be in anything. This could be not, not just in the workplace, but in life. So I'm really appreciative of the upbringing that I've had from my parents and how all of that has really shaped who I am. And I think that ultimately feeds back to the community aspects that what makes this basin so unique is really the upbringing and the expectations from from folks that are close to to oneself. I cannot thank my parents enough for the way that even though that we were busy both academically in school and sports, we still made the time to give back to the local community if that was through church groups or if that was through charitable giving or if that was through the use of our time. I think ultimately for us in my own personal background, it was always through the gift of time. I don't think that we really gave a lot of money because I don't think we really had a lot of money. And that doesn't need to hold us back from making impacts in communities. And that's really the the interesting opportunity that we all have, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. I, I think that makes complete sense. I love that because we all have gifts and we can use those gifts. And time, that when you give someone time, there's no greater gift because you're showing them you care. You're showing that you can do something to help. You don't always have to give with money. I love that. I think that is so beautiful. Let's talk about someone that might be on a similar journey as you. What advice would you give to them? Someone that wants to go, go into the oil and gas industry, somebody that right now is seeing what's happening in the world, but yet they said, but what, this is what I want to do. This is what I've gone to school for. What advice would you give them? No, it's great. I mean, I was recently up at Texas Tech speaking to their petroleum engineers the other day and some of the other divisions that they have up there. So shout out to those folks in Lubbock or maybe not in Lubbock right now, but are still students of Texas Tech due to the current situation with COVID. But I, I think what we all should really focus on is figuring out a way to say yes. I think often it's easy to say no in general, and we need to figure out how to turn those no's into yeses. And that's really my best advice is to figure out how do we say yes to situations that your first instinct is to say no. And the only way that you're going to do that is to continue to ask why. Ask why, 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 why? Why is it done that way? Why are we doing it this way? Why do you say no? And really start to have some of those crucial conversations with everyone around you and figuring out a way to say yes, and then also running towards it. I mean, this industry and and any other industry, in all honesty, since I've worked outside the the oil and gas industry as well, is the value that you have is is what you're able to, to complete and the influences that you can make around you. That cultural aspect of it, I think, comes back down to the figure out a way to say yes. And that is really just down to ownership. Own your process, love what you do, and that passion will definitely pass on to those around you. And that ultimately always comes back down to culture. Yes, that was so good. Great advice. Thank you so much, Alex. What are you looking forward to the most right now, just in general in life? I'm still trying to really wrap my head around the whole part of the oil and gas industry, in all honesty. I'm excited about understanding new things every day. I have an extraordinarily curious mind, and I like learning new things. And it's even better when it's related to what I do every day so that I don't realize that it's 7 o'clock at night. My wife calls me and says, hey, I think it's time to come home. I'm like, oh, shoot, it's already that late at night. So really knowing and having folks around you who understand your passions and understanding how to live and how to how to find joy in what you do every day. And if you don't find joy, it's probably time to move on to something else that you're going to find joy in. 
And that's really an opportunity for us all in every position. As you mentioned, my background's been quite, quite unique, quite a few different positions that I've held in a short amount of time, but I found joy in every single one of them. And it was more of an opportunity that I've had from other leaders that I've worked for to really push me out of my comfort zone and, and really get after what opportunities are in front of me. And I think that it falls back to that yes aspects. What, how do you say yes to this opportunity and what makes the most amount of sense for you in that situation? And don't, don't psych yourself out. Don't think what this is going to do in 10 years. Because in all honesty, you're probably not going to be in that role for 10 years. And or if you are, you're probably going to have a different scope of work of what you're doing in that role. So that less about the title and more about the day to day. So true. What about something good? I've, I've been closing out most of my interviews lately with tell me something good, because I think right now, I mean, when you look at oil prices or when you, you know, hear the sad stories of families that are impacted, both and financially, sometimes it can it can start to get on you know way on your heart. So I love sharing good news. Tell me something good, Alex. I appreciate that. I agree. I've, I think that we all need to take this as an opportunity. And the good news for me has been just lifestyle in general. I've personally had a lot more of a healthy lifestyle these last few weeks than I have before from the hustle and bustle aspects. I'm far more connected on the phone. But that also allows me to go out and get some sunshine every day and, and go out for a neighborhood walk and be on that conference call or that phone call that we all have to take every day. But just getting out and enjoying the sunshine and, and being around the community and really connecting back with folks. So for me personally, it's been the ability to connect with my, with my family. If that's my sister and her kids on FaceTime and seeing them crawling all over each other and, and getting out and enjoying it or calling my parents and, and other folks who are close to me and, and really connecting again. I think reconnecting, really focusing on what what's important in life right now and, and using this time to slow down, look around and figure out what's adding value to one's life. Yes, for sure. That has definitely been the most beautiful part of this is seeing families get back together. And not that they not that they have really fallen apart, but everybody's so busy in the hustle and bustle of of activities. And having to be somewhere, now there's that love of being together no matter what, no matter where you are. It's just beautiful, whether it's on a FaceTime call or taking a walk in the neighborhood together. So that's great. Thank you so much, Alex. Is there anything you'd like to share in closing that maybe we haven't covered that you said, oh, I really want our listeners to know this about Baker Hughes or what you do here in the Permian? No, it's just been, it's been exciting. I appreciate the time on this podcast and, and doing it remotely has also been a new challenge, I think, for you and for, for us, because I'm the same way as you are to connect in person. So yeah. feel free to reach out to me at any time. I mean, LinkedIn's probably the easiest way to get at me. I'm pretty active on learning and taking those news channels and then also posting on what I'm doing every day. I find a lot of interest and value in, in seeing and hearing and connecting with folks. So Anytime that someone wants to come down and, and connect, feel free. I think it's going to be exciting once the, the lockdown is lifted that we'll start going out to lunches again and having those coffee meetings and just connecting in general with, with the folks that make this place so unique. Fantastic. Alex Bruns, thank you so much for the time today. I really appreciate you sharing your story and your knowledge, and we wish you and the rest of the Baker team much success as you navigate these new waters and I know that you will do it with, with much success because you have a great team and I, I know several of them and I just love how you all work together and it's been fun to watch you over the past few years and, and now finally getting to interview you. It's been great. So thank you so much for being with us today. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you.
you. Well, it's time now to announce this week's community MVP. And this week, we have a pretty large group that is our community MVP. It is the Trinity School alumni. Now, Trinity School in Midland has been sharing Facebook posts about alumni helping locally and beyond during the coronavirus pandemic. According to the Midland Reporter-Telegram, Shelby Hammer, the head of school at Trinity, said that there are a lot of alumni who are on the front lines of making good things happen during this difficult time. So I wanted to highlight a few of them because I know many of you know them here in the Permian Basin. We begin with Brittany Rothbone. She was a class of 2013, and she is on the front line in New Orleans fighting coronavirus in the ICU unit. Craig Stoker, class of 1995, is the director of communications at the West Texas Food Bank. We know all the wonderful things West Texas Food Bank is doing here. Also, Michelle Carter, class of 2012. She is a doctorate of nurse anesthesia student in the simulations lab at TCU. Austin Green, class of 2012. He is a pharmacist and NPH public health advocate at a clinic in Dallas. He is a wonderful student that graduated once again in the class of 2012, doing wonderful things. We also want to highlight Bill Fleischman, former head of Midland School at Trinity, donating blood in Florida. Dr. Heather Bartlett, class of 1998, built a tent for triage and, and evolution in Ohio. Casey Snipes Smith, class of 2004 is upper school lead administrator, and she is educating students virtually at the Clarendon School. Beth Webster, class of 2011, is the director of prevention for the Life Center and is educating and counseling students and parents in need. Some more alumni doing great things. I told you, it's a long list, but oh, so well-deserved. Susan Strange-Green, class of 2007, is a physical therapist providing home exercise ideas for patients. Dr. Emily Newman, Dodd, class of 2006, is an anesthesiologist serving the community of San Angelo. Dr. Shana Patel, class of 2012, has been swabbing patients with coronavirus at a drive-through testing center in Houston. Lydia Jackson, class of 2005, is a registered nurse supporting patients on the cardiac floor in Mobile, Alabama. Lexi Willingham, class of 2011, is a nurse practitioner student in the medical ICU trenches in Lubbock. Kelly House Johnson, class of 1997, is an emergency manager in Utah at a drive-through POD operation for testing. Laura Quinn Sonnenberg, class of 2007, is a physician's assistant treating family medicine patients in Midland. John Mark Eccles, founder of the Fields Edge, class of 2007, is arranging hand-washing stations for homeless people who have lost access to restrooms and washing facilities. There this is just a, such an impressive list. The list goes on. You can find more by going to Midland Trinity School of Midland, excuse me, to their website, to their Facebook page. They have a list of fantastic alumni who is helping day in and day out help navigate this coronavirus and really, truly on the front lines. So we thank you all for your hard work and your sacrifices that are being made during this challenging time. Our healthcare providers are our true heroes, and we are so proud of each and every one of you. Thank you for sharing your gifts. And that's what makes this week's community MVP, all these heroes. They are fantastic. We cannot thank you enough. Well, that concludes this week's episode of Permian Perspective, the story behind the oil and gas leaders in the Permian Basin. A special thanks to Baker Hughes for sponsoring Permian Perspective. Baker, as we know, recently launched a new and reimagined Baker Hughes brand. 
and as an energy technology company, they are striving to make energy safer, cleaner, and more efficient for people in the planet. And again, a special thank you to Alex Bruns, who is our special guest today from Baker. Remember, my motto is dream big, believe in yourself, and never, ever give up. You make it a great day. Hi, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So obviously, we are in... Uh, unprecedented times right now and have been unable to carry out our last couple of happy hours that we had scheduled for last month. We have chosen to delay them and we'll continue to update you on when exactly we will be able to have those events again. Obviously, we're following along the recommended guidelines of the CDC and the World Health Organization. So we're really looking forward to seeing you and we're hoping that these events are going to happen sooner rather than later. But for now, stay tuned and we will keep you posted on those dates. Also, just want to say thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to Oil & Gas Global Network. We are fortunate to already have been a virtual company before the coronavirus and all of these issues started plaguing various countries. And we just want to continue bringing you guys the best information and to the best of our ability, keep you informed, especially while everyone is at home or at least most more people than ever before are at home. So we just would like to thank you for continuing to tune in and continuing to listen. And we hope that everyone is staying safe and we wish everyone the best. And thanks again. Tune in next week for another episode of Permian Perspective, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at www.oggn.com. <laughs>